0: right folks we are going to be looking at chapter 1 through chapter 2 verse 22 now this is the first part of the first section of isaiah and it's called the indictment of a nation now here's what we're going to do i just want to tell you we're going to read the passage as we go along so i'm just not going to give you notes we're going to read what god's word says if you have a question the way sunday school is as we go along you might have a question raise your hand I will acknowledge you if I repeat your question the reason why I'm repeating your question is because there are folks who are watching this either on the church app or on YouTube or something and we want them to hear your question because they're not going to hear your question even though I will okay so let's go ahead and begin Now, you're going to find that as we begin this book, this is is a really unusual way for a book to start out. We're used to like an introduction or, or setting the stage as you're reading and so forth. He's going to get right into a judgment passage. And that's what he's supposed to do. He's supposed to proclaim what God's word is to the nation of Judah. Okay, so... First thing we're going to notice is in verse 1, this is the heading of the book. So, this book is oftentimes, you'll see it referred to it this way in the historical narratives, the vision of Isaiah. So, here's what it says. The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amoz, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, kings of Judah. So here's what I want you to see. So the first thing we're going to notice when we talk about the heading is is that the book identifies itself as the vision of Isaiah. Okay, so to the Jews, and when you go to the historical books like 1st, 2nd Kings, particularly 2nd Kings or 2nd Chronicles, you're going to see that the vision of Isaiah is referred to a lot. And this is the book that we're going to be looking at here. So this is the vision that he had, or visions that he had, that God wanted to communicate to the nation, okay? And again, remember I told you, we don't know much about his background. We, we know more about him than any of the other prophets. But again, all we know is, is he's the son of Amos. Now, Isaiah saw... The vision concerning Judah and Jerusalem during the reign of four kings. So this guy was a prophet during the reign of four kings. And so when you think about four kings, you're thinking, oh, maybe this is a short period of time. It's maybe a king who showed up, at, like the the kings of the north, and they lasted six months or maybe a year and a half. Uh, no, with these four kings, we're talking he was a prophet over decades. Okay. A long period of time. Alright? So let's get into it. The first thing he's going to discuss when you get to verse verse 2. Is he's going to look at the wickedness of Judah. The wickedness of Judah. Now as we begin this. I want to remind you. I want to remind you. That this is a message to Israel. This is a message to Judah. Don't take what he's saying here and say, well, this is a message to America. And I, I was thinking about that and I thought, okay. So, Lori, could you hand me, just hand me that clipboard there. All right. Thank you. All right, so I thought about this. I thought, okay, what if... Lori left me a note, okay? What if Lori left me a note, and on the note, she didn't put my name, because I would know it's to me, okay? She says, I thought you were going to take care of the yard. You know, it's very important that we get that taken care of. It looks ratty, take care of the yard or else. And if you do this, I'll have something special when all the people come over To benefit from the bar barbecue. Now, all right, so that's a note to George. Take care of the yard or else, okay? Would you pick up that note and say, Wow, it's to me? No, you wouldn't, you would be like, What yard? What what she would do special for him? Am I invited to the barbecue? You know, we would think that. But we would recognize that note is for them. We would not equate it to our situation, would we? Okay? Now, but that's what we do with these passages from Isaiah. Isaiah is writing a book of vision to the nation of Judah concerning what they're doing. Now, can we learn from it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you might read that and say, oh, that's how you handle your husband. Or, please, include the recipe for whatever it is that you're going to do. Maybe that'll work with my husband or something. You know, we can learn from it, but it's not directed towards us. And so here's what I'm trying to say to you. There are things from Isaiah that have profound meaning to us. Especially the passages about the servant, the suffering servant, the, 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 the Messiah and what's coming in the end for Israel. But it's not addressing you in your situation. Do you understand? So we, we need to keep that in mind. The problem is, is that, and we're having that problem today in our culture as well. Here, Lori, if you can take that back. We like to take passages here that talk about Israel and out of our christian nationalism want to make it for our nation folks it's not for our nation plus you're not we're not the first ones who try to do that they've been doing that for 2000 years throughout europe throughout everywhere trying to make this and and guess what those nations don't exist anymore but guess who still does exist the jewish people did you understand so let's let's, let's keep ourselves in reminder about that. So let's begin. He's going to address the whole issue of their wickedness, okay? So let's look first of all at verse 2 through 9. Hear O heavens, give ear O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. The the ox knows its master, and the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know. My people do not consider, alas, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a brood of evildoers, children who are corruptors. They have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked to anger the Holy One of Israel. They have turned away backward. Why should you be stricken again? You will revolt more and more. The whole head is sick, and the whole heart faints. From the sole of the foot even to the head, there is no soundness in it, but the wounds and bruises and putrefying sores, they have not been closed or bound up or soothed with ointment. Your country is desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. Strangers devour your land in your presence. And it is desolate as overthrown by strangers. So the daughter of Zion is left in a booth in a vineyard, as a hut in the garden of cucumbers, as a besieged city. Unless the Lord of hosts had left us a very small remnant, we would have become like Sodom. We would have been made like Gomorrah. All right, so let's talk, first of all, when you look at this section you're going to see very much a discussion here of the sins of the nation. Okay, so the first thing is the Lord points out that Israel does not know its master. Israel doesn't know its master. Now, this is completely different than any other nation in the world. Why? When God called Abraham... And he passed that vision of the Abrahamic covenant down to Isaac. And then down to Jacob, who is Israel. And then to the 12 tribes. When he called them out of Egypt and he made them a nation. And he established them in a land. He, from the very beginning, said that he would be their God. They knew who he was. Now the problem is. They don't act like they know him. They've forgotten him. They put him out of out of out of his mind. He's like a child. You, you, maybe you've seen this. He's like a child who forgets what family he's from. And doesn't even acknowledge the family anymore. This is what Israel is like, okay? Israel is like this. So Israel has rejected the Lord and become sinful. Now, when you say sin, what kind of sin? Well, the prophets are very clear when we go through the other prophets. Some of their sin included things. Well, you mean like homosexuality? Yes, that's a reflection of something else. But we're going to see that one of their greatest sins was materialism. They no longer needed the God. We see this in Jeremiah. Because of what? They had everything. They began chasing after other gods. Oh, they believed in the Lord, but... We'll worship Chemosh or or the God of the Ammonites and Moabites. They sinned against the Lord. Sinned against the Lord. Here's the other thing. Their destruction is a consequence of their sin. So he's saying your cities are lying in ruin. They're being burned. Now how does that happen? Because God destroyed them? Well, God allowed oppressors to be raised up against them to punish them. Why? Their sin. Now it's interesting, if you go back to our lessons when we talked about Deuteronomy, Moses told them from the very beginning, when you turn away from God, I will bring oppressors against you to remind you, to punish you. And folks, even to this day, because of the rejection of the Lord through the person of Jesus, guess what? They're still going through it, aren't they? Still going through it. So their destruction is a consequence of their sin. Now here's going on. Yet, God says he's gracious. Yet, God is gracious in leaving survivors. This is where the term remnant comes in. In the Old Testament, the remnant referred to the few remaining Jews... Now, we like to, in our modern Christianity, make them out to be these super spiritual people that God left behind. Well, when you read the narratives, you find out that they they had just as many problems as anybody else. What made them special was that God didn't allow them to be totally wiped out. So in his grace, he just left a few of them alive to continue on. Because he had made a promise to who? Abraham, Isaac, Isaac and Jacob. This is what's going on here. So this is the wickedness of Judah. Now I want you to notice that the Lord is going to express his rejection about something. So look with me at verse 10 through 15. Now notice something when he talks about Jerusalem he refers to them by the name of some other places that he destroyed long before this because of their sin. Look at what he says. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the law of our God, you people of Gomorrah. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me, says the Lord? I've had enough of the burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or goats. When you come to appear before me, Who has required this from your hand to trample my courts? Bring no more futile sacrifices. Incense is an abomination to me. The new moons, the Sabbaths, and the calling of assemblies, I cannot endure iniquity in the sacred meetings. Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates. They are a trouble to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear. And your hands are full of blood. All right, so let's take a look. There's just one point I want you to see here. God tells the nation he is tired of their empty religious practices. Now, there's a powerful lesson here to learn, isn't it? So here they are, they're doing the stuff they're supposed to be doing. What's that? They're making the sacrifices at the temple. Now, of course, they're making sacrifices to other gods as well, but they're making sacrifices as the temple as God called for them. They're offering incense, they're standing before the Lord or praying or whatever. And and, and God says, all of that I hate. Why are you doing that? because it wasn't a reflection of who they were. They were being what? Hypocrites. Their religious practices were empty. Now, do you think we could fall into that trap? You know, because it's real easy. I, I, think about it. I, I've been there. It's real easy to just get up on Sunday morning and go to church because that's what we've always do. It's real easy to pray before a meal then two minutes later, ask, did did we pray? We couldn't even remember that we prayed before a meal. Why? Because it becomes a meaningless what? Exercise. And God's saying, I hate that. I hate it. This is not the only passage that he says that. If you get over to Malachi chapter 3, he makes the same pronouncement of judgment in Malachi, which would be a couple hundred years later, saying, I hate what you're doing. I hate what you're doing. Here, let's go on. Verse 16 and 7 through 20. He's going to call them to repentance. Okay? Verse 16. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Put away evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rebuke the oppressor, defend the fatherless, plead for the widow. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red as crimson, they will be as wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel... You shall be devoured by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. All right, so let's take a look here. Here's a call to repentance. First thing you're going to notice is that the Lord calls the nation to repentance. Now, let me explain to you what repentance is. This is true in the Old Testament, it's true in the New Testament. Repentance isn't just saying, I did wrong, that's called confession repentance takes it one step further repentance is i did wrong and you make a decision to stop doing wrong did you understand what i'm saying and you make an effort to quit doing wrong did you understand what i'm saying so it's kind of like you know, it's, it's 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 my birthday, and Lori knows the kind of cake I like. And uh, But I, she also knows that health-wise, I shouldn't be eating those things. And, and uh, you know, and, and, and she catches me if she makes this cake, and I'm allowed one little piece. But later on, she hears me downstairs in the middle of the night rummaging around in the fridge because I'm going for another piece that I want the size. You know, and, and so she comes down there and says, what are you doing? Uh, Because I got the piece on my plate, you know, maybe I got some in my mouth or something and I did wrong. Well, that's confession. Repentance is, I did wrong and you're not going to catch me down here anymore. Did you understand what I'm saying? It's actions that stop it. So he's calling the nation to what? Repent. Don't just tell me you're wrong. Do something about it, okay? So here's what he says. The Lord promises, here it is, what? Forgiveness and cleansing. Very well-known portion of Scripture here. Though Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are crimson, they shall be as wool. You've heard that passage before. This is where it comes from. It's talking about the forgiveness of God. Now, where does it when does that happen? When we turn away from our sins to him, when we repent, okay? So, he's promising what? Forgiveness and cleansing. All right? Cleansing. Now, let's go on. Those who refuse to repent will be destroyed. It's just very obvious. Well, that's the God of the Old Testament. No, no, folks, if you want to understand that, then just go over to Revelation chapter 20, very last part of the passage. You'll see people who will stand and the books will be open, and they will be judged and they'll be cast into the lake of fire. A refusal to repent, a refusal to turn to God, results in destruction. Now, when you come to verse 21 through 31 we're going to see the last part here of chapter one is the discussion of the adulterous city. So Jerusalem here now is called an adulterous city. So let's take a look here. How the faithful city has become a harlot. It was full of justice righteousness lodged in it but now murderers Your silver has become dross, your wine mixed with water. Your princes are rebellious and companion the thieves. Everyone loves bribes and follows after rewards. They do not defend the fatherless, nor does the cause of the widow come before them. Okay, so here's the condition of the city. All right, first thing you're going to notice here, the city has become a whore, a prostitute. And is totally worthless like corrupted wine and silver. It's it's totally worthless of no, of nothing. All right, look at, let's go on verse 24 and 26. We're going to see a purging here. Therefore, the Lord says, the Lord of hosts, the mighty one of Israel, I will rid myself of my adversaries, take vengeance on my enemies. I will turn my hand against you. And thoroughly purge away your dross and take away your alloy. I will restore your judges as at first, and your counselors as to the beginning, and afterwards you shall be called the city of righteousness, the faithful city. So here's what's happening: God's going to purge them. Another way of saying it, God's going to discipline them. And the purpose, let's if you want to write this down the purpose of all discipline is to restore them to the person or to the people that God wants them to be. Do you understand? That's the whole purpose of discipline here. So he's going to purge them. So here's what happens. Uh, The Lord will restore Israel to its former state. The Lord will restore Israel to its former state. So he's going to return them back to who they used to be like when they had judges of old. And righteousness was was primary in the city. He's going to return them to that. Look with me now at verse 27 to 31. Zion shall be redeemed with justice and her penitence with righteousness. And the destruction of transgressors and sinners shall be together. And those who forsake the Lord shall be consumed. They shall be ashamed of the terebinth trees, which you have desired. And you shall be embarrassed because of the gardens which you have chosen. For you shall be as a terebinth whose leaf fades and as a garden that has no water. The strong shall be as tender and the work of it as spark. Both will burn together, and no one shall quench them. All right, now, you might be saying, as a tree in a garden, what's he talking about? Well, here's what they did. At this point, like those nations around them, these trees became a place of worship. A worship of who? The false gods. These gardens that they're talking about were gardens that they had established as places for them to go and worship their what? Their idols and their false gods. And so here's what God is saying to them. He is going to announce their humiliation. Okay? So the wicked that rejected the Lord will be brought low. So what he's describing here is, okay, have you ever been caught doing something you should have been caught doing? A better way of saying it, have you ever been caught doing something you shouldn't have been doing in the first place? And when you are caught doing it, specifically if it's a sin, how are you feeling in that moment? What kind of thoughts are going through your mind? What kind of feelings are you feeling in that moment when you're caught in the midst of a sin and you know that what you're doing is wrong? How are you feeling? embarrassed. Everybody guilty? Embarrassed? Anybody else got a thought that goes along with that? Are you guys agree with what Bruce? Ashamed? Yes. Okay. So here's what the Lord is saying. You're going to be embarrassed by your trees. These places of worship. You're going to be embarrassed by these gardens. Because they're going to fade. They're going to dry up. They're going to be like a tree that has lost its leaf. Barren. They're going to be like gardens that don't have any water in the midst of a drought you're going to be exposed you're going to be brought low because you rejected me that's what god is saying here now we could stop for a moment because we're going to move on to chapter two here we could stop for a moment and think about that and maybe have man wow god's really being hard on them Really? Because I think if we remember, and he's going to express this later throughout this book, he loves them. And while they're ashamed and embarrassed and guilty, he's hurting for them, he's disappointed. I think we understand that because when you're a parent and your child does something that you're not approving of, what do you feel? Anger, yeah, at first, but what do you ultimately feel? You're disappointed. You're hurt. That's how God is feeling here. Only God's expressing like a parent, this is what is going to happen. Come back. Come back. All right, so let's let's take a look at it. He's going to talk about now the whole issue of uh, the Lord, the mountain of the Lord. So look with me. Again, there's another heading here in verse 1. Look with me at verses, uh, verse 1 through 5. The word of Isaiah, the son of Amash, concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways and we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law. And the word of the lord from jerusalem and he shall judge between the nation and rebuke many peoples and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks nation shall not lift up sword against nation neither shall they learn war anymore O house of jacob come let us walk in the light of the lord okay so here's what we're going to see again it's Again, a heading, identifying this as a vision from Amos to Judah and Jerusalem. But Isaiah sees in the latter days, the temple of God will be prominent again. So in the latter days, when the Messiah comes, so he's talking, he's projecting future. He just pronounced judgment, but he's projecting forward, even beyond us, The temple of the Lord, the house of the God of Jacob. It's going to be there and it's going to be prominent again. Here's what else. All the nations will come to the house of God. Now we already know that's not right now, right? About the only thing that's going to Israel right now is tourists. Do you understand? They're not there to worship the God of Jacob. They're there to see the land. Relive history make pilgrimages whether they're Muslim or Jewish or Christian but they're not there for the house because the house doesn't exist right now does it okay here's what goes on next thing God will rule the nations from Jerusalem God's going to rule the world now we know that's not true right right now but it will be in the future here's what else when you look at this whole issue of God ruling the nations look at what it says about war it's interesting in fact if you go I think it's outside of the United Nations they show swords being what turned into what plowshares this is from the verse that it comes from The instruments of war are going to be turned into instruments of agriculture. Why? Because it says very clearly, no nation will rise up against another nation. That's in the future. When will that happen, folks? When Jesus comes back. So now we get to verses 6 through the end of the chapter, and he's going to talk about the day of the Lord. Now let me explain to you, when we talk about the day of the Lord, whether it's in the Old Testament or in the New Testament, what is it referring to? The end. When God will come back and establish everything. So now he's going to talk about the day of the Lord. So let's look at this together. First of all, he's going to talk about Judah's sin again. Look with me at verses 6 through 11. For you have forsaken your people, the house of Jacob, because they are filled with Eastern ways. They are soothsayers like the Philistines. They are pleased with the children of foreigners. Their land is full of silver and gold. There is no end to their treasures. Their land is also full of horses, and there is no end to their chariots. Their land is also full of idols. They worship the work of their hands, which they, that, that which their own fingers have made. People bow down. Each one humbles himself. Therefore, do not forgive them. Do not forgive them. Enter into the rock and hide in dust from the terror of the Lord, from the glory of his majesty. Lofty looks of man shall be humbled. The haughtiness of men shall be bowed down. And the Lord alone shall be exalted in that day. All right, so first of all, here's what's going to happen. He's going to talk about the reality of their sin. So here's what I want you to see. First of all, the Lord has rejected the house of Jacob because of their sin. So he's rejected them. Israel has embraced the idolatry of the Philistines. When he talks about the soothsayers, he's talking about that they have embraced the religious practices of the Philistines. Now, who were the Philistines? They're, they're longtime enemies. Israel was filled with pride concerning its wealth. Materialism. They had lots of money. They were doing really well. In fact, if this is during the time of Uzziah, who reigned for 52 years, it was a time of prosperity for the nation. They were doing really well. Now, here's the problem. I'm just going to tell you like it is. It's great for economies to do well, but here is the danger. For the believer, the follower of God, when things go really well, guess who you forget? God. Now do you understand why God allows difficulties to enter into our lives? Because it always reminds us of what? Our frailty. And who do we need? The Lord. But here he's judging them because they got lots of gold and silver. God alone will be exalted and guess what? All others will be brought low. God alone will be exalted, and all others will be brought low. And I think it's interesting. We're going to look at this in a minute, the response of the people. He talks about, look at what he says in verse 10. He says, enter into the rock, hide in the dust from the terror of the lord the glory of the majesty he's going to refer to that again a little bit later in this passage we actually see that same thing described in the book of revelation so hold on i will get there okay so let's notice now the day of reckoning verse 12 12 through 18 for the day of the lord for the day of the lord of hosts shall come upon every proud and lofty upon everything lifted up It shall be brought low upon the cedars of Lebanon that are high and lifted up, upon the oaks of Bashan, upon the high mountains, upon the hills that are lifted up, upon every high tower, upon every fortified wall, upon the ships of Tarshish and upon all beautiful slopes. The loftiness of man shall be bowed down and the haughtiness of men shall be brought low. The Lord alone will be exalted in that day, but the idols he shall utterly abolish. What's going on here? The prophet proclaims that a day is coming when all will be brought low. He's proclaiming that a day is coming when all the pride of everyone, will disappear. Everything. He mentions several nations here. He mentions everything about them. The cedars of Lebanon. That would be a symbol of pride for Lebanon. He mentions Tarshish. Tarshish was somewhere over the Mediterranean and they had ships and so forth. He's mentioning that all of that is going to be what? Brought low. The nations, everything, are going to be brought low. Why? Because God is coming. The Lord alone will be exalted. Now we know we're not in that time right now, right? Because the most common thing when it comes to the Lord that you hear people do is curse Him. Not exalt Him. Curse Him, not exalt Him. So here's what happens. Look with me. This is the response of the people. Look with me at verse 19. They shall go into holes of the rocks. And into the caves of the earth from the terror of the Lord and the glory of his majesty when he arises to shake the earth mightily. In that day men will cast away his idols of silver and his idols of gold which they made each for himself to worship to the moles and bats. And go into the clefts of the rocks into the crags of rugged rugged rocks from the terror of the Lord. And the glory of his majesty when he arises to shake the earth mightily. Sever yourself from such a man whose breath is in his nostrils. For what of account is he? Alright, so here's what's happening. The reality is this. The people of the world will try to hide themselves in caves. When God comes in his judgment, when the day of the Lord happens... They're going to try to hide themselves in caves. Now we know that when you go over to Revelation. The reality is is that there is a period in which God will begin to pour out his judgment on this world. Right before Jesus Christ comes. We know that period is a seven year period known as the tribulation. And now if you go over to uh, Revelation chapter 6 verses 12 to 17, listen to what John says as he sees this vision, says what's going to happen in the future. Now tell me when I read this to you if this is not similar to what Isaiah says will happen when God comes. Here's what he says. I looked and when he opened the sixth seal, behold, there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair and the moon became like blood. And the stars of heaven fell to the earth, and a fig tree dropped its late figs when it was shaken by a mighty wind. Then the sky receded as a scroll, and when it, as when it, when a scroll is rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. Here it is: the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, commanders, mighty men, every slave and every free man. Hid themselves in caves and the rocks of mountains, and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne from the wrath of the lamb. For a great for the great day of his wrath has come, who is able to stand. Folks, that was written in AD ninety. The prophecy of Isaiah, 700 B.C. They're referring to the same thing when God shows up and brings low the whole world. And the response of people will be what? To hide themselves from the judgment of God. So here's what I want you to see. The next thing I want you to see is this. The prophet calls Judah to stop trusting in men who are ultimately nothing. Quit trusting in men. That's our natural inclination. We, We want a leader. We want a leader to follow, to bring us out of our messes. Yeah, but folks, there are some messes that are coming your great leader can't bring you out of. Because notice what it said in Revelation. The mighty men, the kings of the earth, will be what? Brought low. Even down to the average person, free or slave, will be brought low and will cry out for death because the day of the Lord has approached. And so he's, he's telling them quit following a guy. Follow who? The Lord. That's what he's saying here. Okay, next week we're going to get into the second part. So, kind of of wild what's going on here. What's he doing? He's pointing out their sin, and he's what? Calling them to what? Turn to the Lord. Why? Because God is the one who ultimately is going to win. And he's the one who's ultimately going to establish what he's going to establish. Now where are you going to be in the midst of that? That's almost what's being said here. Turn back to him.